Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And I just sent a notice out to the network that I'm on the air, so uh, that should be going out. I'm I'm always sliding into first here when I start the program. I'm doing multitasking. And I've been at this for a lot of years and trying to make straight the way of the Lord, this voice of one crying in the wilderness. And uh, so now... I have to talk tough sometimes. I have to give it to you straight. Because if I don't give it to you straight, who else is going to help you make straight the way of the Lord and what Christ was really talking about? And that's that's a bold statement by me, but uh, I'm willing to debate people. If they want to come on our show, we can uh, bring them on and... Uh, and we can argue these points that I'm going to make today. And, uh, you know, they can come on our groups and, uh, they can meet me on Facebook and, and I'll show you why I say what I say. I just got a call from somebody, uh, yesterday when I was headed out, to, to, uh, take care of business here at the church. And, uh, you know, they're all excited about what they're reading. And they're they're listening to the audios every day, and things are starting to make sense to them, and they're sharing it with their family, and their family is starting to make sense to them. Uh, but there will come a time where you get to a certain point, and they say, "Wait a minute, I don't know if I can take that," and they have to chew on it a bit. We have people. I just heard the other day that somebody had been listening to us for sixteen years. <laughs> And they finally decided to get in touch and start connecting up with other people that are starting to receive the same message. And I warn people, I warn more than once this week, I've warned people who are beginning to see what we're writing about, what we're talking about. And they want to run out and share it with everybody because it makes so much sense to them. They're sure everybody else is going to get it. And I warn them, no, they're not it's a gift to understand the gospel of the kingdom. God has to open your eyes because it's a strong delusion out there. And some people will open their eyes to one thing but not to another because we all have our little pet doctrines. But we have to set our doctrines aside and find out what the doctrines of Christ are. So I'm sharing with you what I found out and if I haven't found it all out, okay, show me. You know, show me where what I'm missing. I'm willing to listen. I'm not going to, you know, block you. Uh, well, you know, we will block you on some of the networks. We have Yahoo groups where we let almost anything go as long as you're not, you know, swearing and attacking individuals. But, uh, you know, we have our network groups. They have a particular purpose and you got to stick to that purpose. Uh, we have the Yahoo groups where you can be a Yahoo if you want <laughs> and say whatever you want out there. You can challenge me on any of these topics, but you better come well armed with facts and information and be willing to look 
at what we, you know, if I, if you say one thing and I say, well, no, this is actually what I see to be true in this case, and you don't even read it, you don't even look at it, you don't even, you don't even address it, you just jump to another subject. When I show you that where you're at is incorrect, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste time with that. You gotta have a conversation. You gotta, you gotta address the issues that you bring up something and I show you a counter argument. You gotta deal with that counter argument before we go on to something else. That's a common tactic where people, you know, you show them that they're wrong about one of their assumptions and then they just jump over to something else. They don't address the fact that they're wrong and that shows a lack of humility. But it also shows that we're not going to get anywhere. And this is why Jesus says, you know, you tell me nothing. I'm not going to talk to you guys. And he's talking to the Pharisees. He brings up points and they don't want to look at it. They don't want to say, you know, what about John the Baptist? Well, we can't say. We don't want to say he's popular. Well, no, no. You got to take a look at what we counter with or you just will have to remain blind. So anyway, what we're going to talk about today is Chuck Baldwin. And I've had uh, Chuck's son on a program a long time ago when they were promoting their book on Romans 13. They have a better approach to Romans 13 than most preachers. Far better, actually, than most preachers. The problem is, is that they have misinterpreted Romans 13. For a different reason. Not for the reason most people misinterpret Romans 13 and we gave them the explanation but it was different than what they thought and they couldn't imagine or at least the son couldn't imagine at that time didn't seem to that he might be wrong about something very fundamental well we're going to get into what that fundamental thing is and so last night there was somebody brought some things up on his Facebook and he ended up blocking the thread eventually and then I see within an hour of that, he posted a thing on his website. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not sure really the time frame because I wasn't watching the feed and everything. Somebody was sending me pieces of the feed and, uh, I was taking a look at what he was saying. So, you know, the time frame may be off because I know he, the fellow sending them was in a different time. So, <laughs> so, but, uh, so anyway, I went to, uh, uh, Chuck Baldwin's website and I looked up a lot of stuff uh, on his website. I listened to several audios. And uh, I listened to some this morning, at least for part of the time this morning. I didn't get the whole thing in, but I got the gist of it. And we're going to go over some of those things that I hear coming out of Chuck Baldwin and some of the people that are interviewing him. He's got, he gets on a lot of different radio shows and gets interviewed. Because he is a man of knowledge. He has a lot of information. But uh, he's wrong about a few things. And the reason I'm taking the time to talk to him about, and this is the way I'm talking to him, because I don't know if he's going to have me on his show, but <laughs> talking to him on my show, and you can send him the recordings when they come available or even before, and uh, and see what he has to say, because I'm going to address some of the issues that he brings up and some of the points he brings up. And, of course, there are probably a lot of things that we could agree on. And, uh, you know, I could go and address those, but this is only a two-hour show, so we want to address where we disagree so that we can find out if one of us needs to adjust our thinking. 
And that's that's really kind of important is because if we're both seeking the kingdom of God and somebody's got something wrong, we need to talk about it and find out which one of us has got something wrong. So anyway, you know, last week I talked about Ben Shapiro and uh, I quoted from one of his audios where he was being interviewed at a probably a university. I think it was. I can't remember now. But uh, and he had said that he talking about uh, libertarians that they need to realize you need social networks outside of government helping each other with common values. He goes on to say without the virtues uh, instilled by you know religion, there cannot be a free society. Those are both good points. Both early American writers said similar things. The difference is that the early Americans were actually doing, <laughs> they were creating uh, social networks outside of government to help one another. <laughs> Today, the social networks that we create are like Facebook, uh, which doesn't necessarily help anybody, but it could if we were to speak the truth on Facebook. But then you would find a lot of people unfriending you because <laughs> the truth is not popular. And both Chuck Baldwin and I know that. Except for I happen to know some truths that he may find unpopular. And then maybe he knows some that I'll find unpopular. And we could have a great conversation. Because the the great conversations are the controversial ones that actually get to the problems. Not the points of agreement. So I'm sure, again, we have lots of points of agreement. But we have some disagreement. Uh, I've got some stuff written here and I just kind of highlighted it. I'm copying and pasting off of things that he had published and... And he said the decision uh, is weeks old. Uh, I'm done with the NFL. I'm done with the Green Bay Packers. And it all has to do with this uh, national anthem thing. He says, I, as I grew older, I stopped watching the MLB, which I don't even know what that is, but I think it has something to do with basketball. But I don't know. But NBA, uh, he says also, which does have to do with basketball. I know that much. Only a televised sport that I faithfully held onto was the NFL, but I'm done. So he's he's done with them, and and it basically comes down to the fact that he thinks they're disrespecting the national anthem, they're disrespecting the people who have lost their lives fighting for this country. Uh, they they can have their own personal protest, but they should not do it on company time. And actually, that rule exists in, in the NFL already. They're just not enforcing it. And you'll have to talk to them why. But he says, I have a right to turn off the NFL. And so, you know, I jokingly said in the program, uh, one of the programs last week, that uh, I am not going to ever watch the NFL again, attend one of their games. The truth is, I've never attended one of their games because <laughs> I don't watch football much. You know, one of the amazing parallels in history is there were riots going on. You know, after they have a football game, sometimes the, the crowd dumps out into the streets and there's a riot. And cars get tipped over and, and windows get broken and everything after the game. That was common in Rome. They had two basic teams. The Reds and the Blues, I think it was. It might have been the Reds and the Greens. I can't remember. But it was based on color. And they wore these, they wore cloth that was the color of the team that they supported. And they went up, poured out into the streets. 
And there will be riots between those two different colors. You know, if you were wearing this color, you so that, that was their gang colors, uh, so to speak. But it, they were actually supporting teams that were playing or performing in the Colosseums of Rome. Because they had these, you know, it was free bread and circuses that brought down Rome. And the circus was including these two teams that were constantly competing, sometimes like gladiatorial games, whatever, competing in the Colosseum for the entertainment of the people because they needed that entertainment. And uh, there's a reason why you need to be entertained. You need to play music. You need to watch TV. You need to have that TV on. You need to have that radio on. Is It's creating noise in the society of your own mind. And it's distracting you. But the other thing, the free bread, that was simply welfare. And that that contributed to the fall of Rome. Almost more if, uh, than anything else, the free bread of Rome. Because the free bread of Rome was the Corbin of Rome. And it was making the word of God to none effect in them. Now, the the entertainment was often just distracting people. So that they couldn't hear the word of God because they had all this other noise going on in their life and entertainment and excitement, artificial excitement, you know, where you you can watch TV and you can you can get all, you know, uh, people watch uh, what those Friday the 13th movies, uh, these scary movies, there's lots of them out. I never watch any of these things, but uh, because I don't need to be scared, as Bill Cosby <laughs> used to say. Uh, and. Uh, so I, I just find them of no interest. and uh, But they're to create commotion in your mind, in your body, in your you know adrenaline and all this stuff to distract you from the reality of the moment that you would have been in had you not been preoccupied in that entertainment. And I'm using the word entertainment loosely. But the free bread is another part of a process. And Polybius writes about that part of the process long before Jesus comes along and uh, you know he makes it real clear and I love the quote I should read it all the time the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of a rule of force and violence a rule arche that would be in the uh, in the Greek by the way of Rulers, the people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, institute the rule of violence. And now ruling their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. Now this is 150 years before the first emperor of Rome, almost uh, 175 years before the birth of Christ. And he's saying the problem is that people are living at the expense of others by the rule of arche, by the rule of force. You know, the living by the sword. And what he means was that the government was taxing the people, forcing the contributions of the people, and providing welfare for the people through forced contributions. They were living 
at the expense of others. And this was destroying and massacring the liberty in the land until they would be ready for a master and a monarch and a curse 150 years later. They got their first emperor. Emperor meaning commander-in-chief. That's actually right out of the Collins Latin Dictionary. Back when I was in school, uh, almost 60 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, 60 years ago. I still got that Latin Dictionary I got 60 years ago. uh, Studying at St. Joseph's College. And there it says, when you look up Imperator, commander-in-chief. That was a Kodak moment for me, folks. When I read that, I thought, like, that's important. (laughs) The emperor is the commander-in-chief. First emperor of Rome was Augustus Caesar, whose name wasn't Caesar and name wasn't Augustus. (laughs) It was to say Caesar was like saying Mr. President. It was a title. And so, anyway, that's an important point in history, and we're going to bring that into play here Uh there's method in my madness, so we'll we'll get to that. But anyway, he goes on in his rant on um, uh, the NFL, uh, which, you know, that's okay. You know, he can talk about that. When a couple of NFL teams played the game in England, he says, not too long ago, many players refused to stand for the American National Anthem, but proudly stood for Great Britain's National Anthem. Uh, Talk about hypocrisy, he says. I'm done with the NFL, he goes on to say. And I understand his feeling. It's kind of an emotional reaction. But what I want to lead people to is Christ, not the NFL, not the American National Anthem. Now, you know, the story of the American National Anthem is an actually pretty amazing story. Not just the fact that it was written, but the circumstances surrounding what was written. Because Great Britain was bombing, you know, with artillery, uh, a fort. And they said that the Americans had to take down that American flag or they would bomb that, you know, uh, you know, send in their cannon fire until they took it down and along with the whole fort. They knew this. This was an ultimatum. And they would not take the flag down. They were not going to surrender. It was representing. It wasn't the flag. It was representing the fact that if we take that flag down, it looks like we surrendered. And we're not surrendering. So, according to the story, Ben actually went up there and held the pole up, embraced the pole up, under fire, many of them being killed, to keep that flag up. Because, not for the flag's sake, but to let Great Britain know we're not surrendering. We're not giving in. We want to be free from your tyranny. Now, you have to remember... That Great Britain, not so much Great Britain, but the king of Great Britain, the man who they allowed as king. You know, Great Britain, shortly before that, had become a republic and taken down the kings. The kings no longer sat in office. But they were unable to maintain the republic. And they went back to the monarchy. Because the spirit required to maintain a true and pure republic did not exist in Great Britain. Important fact. Now, here's a question. We'll throw this out to help you see where we're going. Is the spirit alive and well in America, in in the Liberty Church that Chuck Baldwin preaches in, is that spirit 
that is required to maintain a pure republic still alive in these other places. Because it wasn't alive in Great Britain and they went back to being a monarchy. They could not sustain a republic. You know, while they were a republic, they actually sent troops over to America to protect the American Republic. To protect it. But here in the, the National Anthem, when that was written, they were actually bombarding remnants of that republic. And men went out and actually died to keep the flag up. Not for the flag's sake, but for the what it represented, which was, if we take that flag down, then we are no longer... We're saying to Great Britain that we capitulate, and we do not capitulate. Today, Americans, for the most part, have capitulated, not only to Great Britain, but to Nazism. They don't call it Nazism, they call it social democracy. Of course, that's what Nazi means, but that's what they, they call. Now, there are some people who consider themselves conservatives and say that they are not for social democracy, therefore being this conservative in a republic. And they are big advocates of the Constitution. And we're going to get into a little bit of that so that you can understand what the heck that means and what the heck that does not mean. <laughs> so anyway, I also listen to a number of radio programs along with uh, some of those uh, radio announcers with Sheila uh, Zelensky. So I'm mentioning her on here. And uh, on that program, he talked about Patriot, Patriot Pulpits. And, uh, you know, what is that? Patriot actually comes from the word that has to do with father, patria, or patri. And uh, we were told to call no man patri upon the earth by Jesus. He actually uses the Latin patri in the Greek text because it it can be interchangeable because the Greeks and the Romans picked up a lot of each other's language. But that's actually originally a Latin word. And the reason they said, call no man, Jesus said, call no man on earth father, patri, was because the Roman senators were all addressed as patri Cicero, patri Seneca. That's how you address the senators of Rome, patri. And he's saying right there to a crowd that knows that, because they they know their own present time, which we would only know if we studied history, He's saying, call none of these men patri. The emperor himself was called Patronus, which is, it means our father who art in Rome. And Jesus is telling, don't call these men father. Don't look to these men as your father. That you're to honor your father and your mother, but you're not to honor these civil fathers, unless, of course, you're bound by contract. So, when they talk about Patriots in the pulpit, the only father I have is in heaven. And that's really where ministers of God should be trying to take people to. And so I'm giving you a little glimpse into the future. And then he also talks about Israel and the rebirth of ancient Israel. And we'll talk about that when we come back.
So welcome back. Uh, one of the things that Chuck was saying in some of the audios that I listened to and, and some of the writings I was looking at is that uh, for 30 years he had preached that Israel was a fulfillment of the prophecy of ancient Israel rising up and uh, in the last days and that we should be supporting Israel. Uh, well, certainly uh, Zionist uh, state of Israel over there in the Middle East has some values that are far uh, more appropriate than some of the values you see in some of the other dictatorships that exist in that area. And, uh, uh, you know, for whatever that's worth, that's fine. But it isn't, we shouldn't look at organizations or institutions of men and say, okay, we're going to back this institution. We should always be seeking righteousness and if Israel does something wrong, we should call them out on it. If Chuck Baldwin does something wrong, we should call them out on it. If I do something wrong, you should call me out on it. And we should deal with right and wrong on an individual basis based upon the wisdom of the Holy Spirit guiding us in that criticism. So Chuck Baldwin said for 30 years he had preached that, and then he realized that that isn't really the case, that something else is going on here. And that Israel is not the Israel of prophecy. And the same could be said of Paris, Texas, that Paris, Texas really isn't a French enclave of France. It's just called Paris, Texas. And that it, other than that, it doesn't mean a thing. Israel, the word Israel actually means the place where God prevails. And the nation of Israel is not necessarily a man-made political subdivision. It's it's the people of Israel, of that spirit of Israel, that live according to the same faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and Moses. And if you're in accord with the spirit that is in those men, then you are Israel <laughs> to some degree. Uh if you're not in accord with the spirit of those men, you are not Israel of the Bible that he's talking about, that, that the Bible is talking about. And so this is, the you know, and I came to the same conclusion that uh, Chuck Baldwin came to concerning Israel. And I can't say exactly that we're in agreement on that, but at least from what these limited audios and, and writings that I came across were talking about, I am in agreement with it. And... I'm in agreement because I read the Bible. I read the Old Testament. I know what Moses was talking about. And I look at Israel over there and it breaks every rule in the book. I mean, they got iron coin, unjust weights and measures. They got usury. They got debt notes in circulation. They they can draft the people. They rule over the people with the exercising authority, it was a rejection of God. When the people, the voice of the people, it says actually says the voice of the people in the Testament. Go read First Samuel 8. The voice of the people called to have a ruler who could exercise authority. Arche. That ruler. That's the word ruler again. Of course, now that's in the Greek, but that's what they were talking about. Somebody who could rule over them and fight their battles for them. That's why Saul was elected to fight their battle. He was the imperator of Israel. The commander-in-chief of Israel. And that's why he was elected. Did you know Augustus Caesar was elected 
by an electoral college, ten-year term of office as imperator. Saul was elected, and I don't know if there was term limits. I never came across anything that would lead me to believe that there were term limits. He was elected to be the commander-in-chief. Now, his son did not become the commander-in-chief after him, so that people talk about him being a king. No, David became the next guy, so evidently, I mean, they did talk about voice to the people, so there evidently was some sort of an election, and they chose David again. But then, uh, and David didn't do too bad. He screwed up here and there, and we hear about all the bad things he did, but he was there for a long time, and we don't hear what he was doing all that time. Uh, he tried to build the temple, but he put it off because he realized that was a mistake. He tried to count the people for a draft, and he realized that was a mistake. What was the thing that made Saul's rule foolish, according to Samuel? He'd done something foolish. Well, he forced an offering. He forced an offering. Forced, you know, that's back to that arche again. He He compelled the people to make an offering. Why was there a need for this offering? Because the Philistines were gathering an army and he needed supplies for his army and so he forced an offering to fund the military. And that was called foolish. What he did, he just taxed the people. Well, see, in Israel there had been no taxes. The entire government, which did not have the Arche exercise authority that we see in governments today, that entire government was operating on free will offerings, which they say over and over again in the, in the Testament. You know, I point out many times, the word charity appears nowhere in the Old Testament. But the words free will offering <laughs> appears all the time. Sacrifice, that's your sacrifice, that's your contribution to run the government was a free will offering in Israel because it was a republic. You are free from things public. Libera res publica. That's where the word comes from. The government had no power to impose a tax upon the people until Saul did a foolish thing and forced an offering. Later on, we, we see... We won't get in that. We won't have time to get through all this other stuff. But uh, when we get to Rehoboam and, and those guys, we see that there's suddenly another split and the country all falls apart. We see that split taking place in America today. Problem is, is, and this is where Chuck Baldwin is right when he says that the pulpits, he blames the pulpits. The, now, when I say he's right to blame the pulpits, I would also add we have to blame the people, like Polybius, who have come, become accustomed to living at the expense of others. Who are those others? That's their neighbors. That's the people they tax, force to pay in so that they can have benefits for their benefit. The, the, and they do this with men who call themselves benefactors, but they are benefactors because they exercise authority. What is that authority again that they exercise? Arche. Arche. Rule over the people. Force the contributions of the people. And he, he blames the pastors for not understanding the principles of liberty. And the fact is that if you're have any interest whatsoever in forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you don't understand the principles of liberty either. And we'll we'll explain that in greater detail before we get to the end, hopefully. Complains, he complains, they do not talk about sodomites and abortion. Well, you know, sodomy and abortion are symptoms of a problem. 
They are symptoms of the problem. If you want to solve the problem, let's let's find out what's bringing this about. Because you know, sodomy and abortion is perverting a natural use, the natural use of the male and female reality in biology is the production of children. So if you're aborting children, you've perverted the natural use of the female and the male because they both are required in order to get to the point where you need an abortion or think you need an abortion. Sodomy the same way. They're perverting the natural use. So that is a result of already turning away from God. The same as desiring to have a ruler who to fight your battles for you was the result of already rejecting God, that he should not reign over you. See, in Israel, when God reigned over them, he reigned over them in their hearts and their minds, and people came together and sacrificed willingly in those free will offerings to take care of the needs of society. You know, widows, orphans, and occasionally in military attack. You know, why was David on the front lines? When Goliath was there, he was bringing provisions to feed the troops. You know, I, I pointed out this story many times. You know, if you just go back to World War One, there was a need for ambulance, mechanical ambulances, because the horse-drawn ambulances were unable to take the wounded off the front lines and get them back to triage and safety. And they had invented the automobile, so they needed ambulances to take these uh, wounded from the front lines to where they could get aid. They got 2,000 ambulances. Did they requisition this from the government and people paid in taxes to buy those ambulances? No. 2,000 ambulances and funds to provide for the drivers of those ambulances was supplied by free will offerings of the people. Isn't that amazing? That was just World War One. we were still doing that. Now everything, taking care of our parents, taking care of the poor, taking care of the widows and orphans, it's all done by those RK guys, those rulers, who those senators, those fathers of society who compel the offerings of the people and provide for the needs of society. That's not Israel. That's the antithesis of Israel. Any country that does that is not Israel. Those people who do that, who who take care of the needy of their society through free will offerings, that's Israel. That's also the church. But we'll get into that later. He, he complains that they, the, people, the preachers are not preaching the truth because they fear being rejected. That That's his supposition, which is true. I'm not arguing with him. And he talks about preachers who preach the truth are struggling. And I, I put in my own note here, you can say that again. Because they're not getting the donations. I mean, people don't want to hear the truth. They can't handle the truth. So what is the truth? I mean, what does Peter say? What does Paul say? What does Jesus talk about? What does Moses talk about? It's the issue of covetousness. What did Polybius talk about? People 
became accustomed to coveting their neighbor's goods and their neighbor's property and seizing their neighbor's property, forcing the offerings of the people to provide benefits for them. That's not going towards the kingdom of God. That's going towards Babylon. That's going towards Nimrod, the mighty provider instead of God. And that's an issue that preachers need to address. I don't know. I didn't come across anything that showed me that Chuck is addressing that to the extent that Christ addressed that. Now, now we're going to get into the turn of events here. He talks about God-given rights. We have God-given rights. And he mentions the Fourth Amendment. And he says, which I thought I'd read here, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. So you can't take my stuff. Okay? You can't go through my stuff and you can't take my stuff. Shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation, another subject entirely, particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or thing to be seized. Well, how can you take any benefit from a government that calls itself a benefactor but seizes the property, the houses, the paper, the effects of your neighbor? How could you call yourself a Christian if you were applying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other in order to get benefits they offer? How could you do that and call yourself a Christian? And if you did that, if you applied for those benefits, from men who exercise authority. Are you not waiving your own rights to be secure in your person, houses, papers, and effects? Because you sent men with swords or guns, let's say, we'll say guns, I'm using the sword as the metaphor, to force your neighbor to live at the expense of your neighbor, to obtain benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Aren't you waiving your right to be secure from the same type of seizure? Absolutely. So the Fourth Amendment is not being usurped by any means by the government. It's already been usurped by anybody who sends their children to public school, expects the government to take care of their parents with Social Security, expects the government to provide Medicare, Medicaid, or Obamacare to their parents. So if your church is not struggling, striving, persevering to be the benefactors of the people through free will offerings, you've already abandoned the ways of God and therefore have abandoned the rights that God has given you. 
So the government has every right to punish you by taking away from you. This is why the governments of men have been instituted. is to punish the wicked who were coveting their neighbor's goods, who were desiring to have benefits at the expense of their neighbor. He goes on and talks about natural rights and natural law. In order to maintain natural rights, he understands that you must be exercising those natural responsibilities. So this is why Jesus says to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Because the righteousness is a coupling of rights and responsibilities. So if your church is not providing all the social welfare of the people, for the people, and by the people through free will offerings, your church is not a church established by Jesus Christ. I don't think you can do that. There's hardly a church around that can do that without becoming maybe Amish. And then you have to pick up other baggage. (laughs) But we'll talk about that later. That, that is why you're missing your rights. That's why you're losing your rights. And your preachers are not dealing. It is through covetous practices that you would be made merchandise. It is through covetous practices that you would curse your children with the loss of those God-given rights. With the barring of those God-given rights. This is, you have looked to the governments of the world to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Like I said, public education. Now, I'll bet you Chuck Baldwin is for some home education, but I don't know. I don't know. He can, I'd love to talk to him about this. But they, he couldn't come on my show. I'm too little. <laughs> and I'm out in the desert. Like John the Baptist. So what you say, what say you? Chuck's right about responsibilities being connected with your rights. He's right when he says that, but he he may be wrong when he talks about the government is an usurper. And I talked about that at the beginning of the show. The government is not usurping the way that, I'll, I'll say it here again, Chuck Baldwin is right about the fact that responsibilities are correlative to rights. That if you don't exercise the responsibility, in other words, seek that righteousness of God, you're going to lose your rights. And that's what's happened. So now, the government is not usurping us in our person, in our houses, in our papers, in effect. They're actually enforcing the contracts which we signed in order to obtain benefits at the expense of our neighbor. And this takes us back to, do we have the spirit in America to be a republic? To free our neighbor from the grip of government. Do we have the spirit to take care of one another through free will offerings. Sacrificing willingly to take care of our elderly. To take care of our needy of our society. To take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Because what I see going on in churches is that they are praying to the fathers of the earth, the archais, the rulers of the earth, and asking the rulers of the earth to take away from their neighbor, even take away from their children. Because all the government benefits are provided by borrowing money. 
which is cursing your children with more and more debt every year. And they raise the debt ceiling, raise the debt ceiling. And all this comes about because of the Spirit that dwelleth in us. Now, here's something to really think about. The Constitution is not your salvation. Now, I'm not against George Washington. I'm not against Thomas Jefferson. I would, I would love to have them as neighbors, and I would invite them over for tea, which I don't even drink, but uh, if they wanted tea, uh, I suppose we could even dig up some coffee if they would like to have some coffee. And I would discuss this with them. You know, George Washington began to doubt the wisdom of the Constitution. Most of the people in America opposed the Constitution. That's what these people that were the American Republic, they were in opposition to the Constitution. It was never put to a popular vote because it would have been voted down. Historians agree. Well, I don't need to even know that, although I do know that, and I write about that, and I share that with people. I'm not in opposition to the Constitution. It has created a government that is going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, God's not going to hear you. Because you have already rejected him that he should not reign over you. And if you will let God reign over you, you will realize we need to take care of one another in those networks that the Orthodox Jew, Ben Shapiro, <laughs> said we need. That are operating through faith, hope, and charity rather than force. That's what we need. And that's what the church should be preaching. If uh, Chuck would preach that, he would be even more unpopular than he is today. Vehemently preach that. The way John the Baptist preached it. If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. This is the message of John the Baptist. Do the same in meats. If you're taking benefits in any way, shape, or form for the government, or have to, then you need to double down and start taking care of one another. If you're getting by without taking those benefits, but not providing for others, you are a long ways away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you should be striving for the opportunity of how can I help take care of my neighbor. Because if you're not doing that, you're not coming in the name of Christ. Because Christ came to serve. He didn't come to get out of taxes. Now, one of the things that uh, Chuck was upset about was anarchists. And we'll probably have to get into that into the second half of the show. But we'll, because I've got a big long thing here that he had just posted hours before I, at least that's what it seemed to say, hours before I downloaded it. And then I, I listened to those audios and we'll go through some of that. But this is what the early church was. This is what early Israel was. It was providing for all the needs of society through free will offerings, through what Paul calls charity and Jesus calls love. Because the same word Jesus uses is love. When Paul uses it, they often translate it charity. Because that's love. When you lay down your life, one paper, <laughs> you know, you go back to that uh, Fourth Amendment, uh, your, your person, your houses, your papers, your effects, you lay them down for love of others. We'll be right back, and then we'll talk tough. <laughs> Come on back right after this message.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about the, the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about it in relationships to some of the teachings of Chuck Baldwin. And uh, I'm taking the time because I think Chuck's, he has looked outside the box. He has stepped at least one foot outside the box. I don't really know. I'd love to talk with him more. But uh, I'm supposed to be, I guess, a little too radical. But maybe I'm not. Maybe God's working on his heart. And like I said, I I didn't take 30 years to figure out that Israel over there is not the Israel of the Bible. But that's only by the grace of God. I'm out here in the desert and I, I don't have some of the religious distractions that he may have had. And it took him a little, little longer to get to where he's at today on that subject. But uh, I just read the Old Testament. I didn't need to. And I have read the Talmud. <laughs> I mean, the Talmud, there's a, there's a lot to the Talmud. So there's all kinds of Talmud uh, stuff. But I didn't need to read that. I didn't need to do a lot of things that other people did. Because I was on this journey since the 50s. But I know Israel is a people, a peculiar people. Why are they peculiar? Because they're willing to live by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. They're willing to come together and take care of one another through love or charity, whatever, when, when you want to, I mean, like I said, the same word is translated. Love is also translated charity. It's the same word. Charis, which is where we get the word charity, is actually what we translate into grace. And what grace have you if you only love those who love you? Well, I don't know who loves me, but I love you enough to take the time to tell you the truth that you need to make straight the way of the Lord. And that means you need to take care of one another in clothing and meats and shelter in your papers and personal uh, items through charity, not through force. And because you think that it's okay to do it through force, which is a predominant idea in almost every church in the country, you are now under bondage. You have become merchandise. And you have been snared. And you've become surety for debt. And your children are surety for debt. You've cursed them with that. Because the churches are not really preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What's the gospel of the kingdom? Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you guys, the Pharisees and Sadducees, those guys sitting in political positions in a government of Judea, which had already strayed many, many years before away from the ways of Moses and therefore the ways of God. He said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you guys and I'm going to appoint it to another group. When Jesus did that. He did that because out of their own mouth they said we had no king but Caesar. They became Romans. They were no longer Israel. Those guys were out. The thousands of people who were Jews at Pentecost who received the baptism of Jesus Christ through the apostles, that was Judea. We eventually called them Christians, but that was Israel. And they went out and preached all over the world to other people who were probably, many of them, descendants of Israel. And many of them became Christians, which was Israel. That was Israel. The place where God prevails. <laughs> this is really an important part of the message. But I don't know if Chuck sees this or not. 
is the fact that the church needs to be doing what God told Israel to do because Jesus took the kingdom away. He says, I'm going to appoint the kingdom to my little flock. And we see them later on saying, you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, that you are to be a different kind of government, another form of government. That's what the church is. It's one form of government that operates by faith, hope, and charity. And if your church is not providing all the welfare for the people who attend your church, you need to work harder. You need to work harder in that direction. That's what seeking the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God, not ruled by other men. Now, Chuck writes on his website, Why did my last post ever bring out the anarchists and the people who have swallowed the government PSYOP program of destabilizing the country? And I wonder how many of these uh, condescending pious anarchists are in reality agent provocateurs. More than one, I can almost guarantee you. Now what it is, is anarchist, that's from the Greek. Anna, a negative, archist, ruler. That's all anarchist means. Without rulers. It doesn't say without leaders. It says without rulers. And Jesus was advocating that the church be an anarchist government without rulers. You are not to be like the rulers. He actually used the words, arche, who exercise authority one over the other. Because in an anarchist government, you still may have the responsibilities of government to take care of the needy of society and the needs of society, even build roads, etc. But you have to do it by free will offerings. There was a riot at the time of Jesus Christ, which he makes reference to, that took place because the government built an aqueduct into Jerusalem and they used social security funds to do it because there was no separation of funds in those days, just as there is no separation of funds these days. There is no separate trust fund for your social security. The Supreme Court has ruled this from the beginning over and over and over again. So if the government is bankrupt, every dime you take from social security you're taking from your children's future. That's just math. This is bookkeeping. But the problem is, today we've got people like the Antifa people who say they are anarchists. If you're breaking windows, if you're hitting people with sticks, you're not an anarchist. You're an archist. If you're pulling out your sword and cutting people's ears off, you're being an archist. You're not to be an archist. Put your sword back. If you think you're going to overthrow the government with violence, you're an archist. You're not what Christ said to be. You need to realize that as long as you are taking away from your neighbor, uh, benefiting because someone else is taking away from your neighbor, you're not following Christ. If you're going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're going to have to seek a church that provides all the benefits of government through faith, hope, and charity. And that perfect law of liberty. That is the message of Christ. That's what your preachers should be preaching. I hope that's what Chuck's preaching. I'd love to talk to him about it.
Love to have him on my program. I, I go anywhere to talk to him about it. But that, that's not the only thing that Chuck seems to be missing. Now, he figured out the thing about Israel. Let's take it another step. Let's take it to Romans 13. Which is, you know, I disagree with his conclusions on his book. Although his book is closer to the truth than any other preacher on Romans 13 I've ever come across. He still misses the basics. And part of that basics that he misses is that Jesus was preaching a kingdom that he takes away from the Pharisees and appoints to the apostles, which became the government of Judea, working in the government building of Judea called the temple, working in there daily, rightly dividing the bread from house to house, running the welfare system of Israel through charity. How did they do this? That's what the church should be striving for. Because that's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Instead of seeking the benefits of men of unrighteousness. And signing contracts with them. You know, covetousness, the whole thing about that, that's part of the commandments. Making agreements so that you can get those benefits. Signing papers so that you can get those benefits. Signing papers under penalty of perjury, which is a form of oath, to get those benefits. Let's take the Constitution just briefly. I don't have time to do the whole thing, but briefly. There are five points that we are told in the Bible to write down in a Constitution, in a document, and read to our leaders every day if we ever decide to have one of those arche rulers who can exercise authority one over the other. Call it a king, call it a president, call it a prime minister. Call it a senator. If he can make law and rule over you, you need to write a constitution that has these five items in that constitution and read it to him every day according to Deuteronomy. Of those five things listed there in the biblical text, one of them shows up in the constitution. One out of five is really a poor percentage. That's 20%. That's failing grade. Now, I'm not against George Washington. I'm not against Jefferson. I think they were great guys. Most of those guys back there, I would love to have them as my neighbors. Most of them are probably rolling over in their grave to see what you've turned the Constitution into. The Constitution had nothing to do with the general population of the people. Chuck figures out a lot of that stuff. That's a good sign. He figures out these things, you know, the changes, some of the changes he alludes to. I don't know how far, deeply he knows this that took place during this American Civil War. Uh, he, he points that out. It's true. But I don't want to just criticize the United States. I don't want to criticize Israel over there because I'm dealing with the hearts and minds of the people. That I want them to repent and turn around and seek that kingdom of God. You don't have to overthrow the government to seek the kingdom of God. You have to just seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to come together with the intent to care for one another in faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Instead of applying to our case, rulers... To exercise authority and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to your public school, to your care of your parents. 
to uh, your health care, to any of those things. If Christians were actually doing what Christ said, they'd all be exempt from Obamacare, just like the Amish. But you're not. And you're not because the preachers in your pulpit, not because they're not patriots, at least, well, you can use the word not patriots, because they haven't made God their father. They're still making the state their father. And so the state is going to take and take and take and take and take and take, like Samuel said. And they're going to punish the wicked. This is what Paul is talking about. That word exousia that we translate into power and sometimes authority and sometimes into government, depending on which Bible you pick up. In the King James, it's usually power. Although occasionally they translate it liberty and right. It's defined in the concordance as the right to choose. Who gave you your right to choose? That's given to you by God. Who gave government the right to choose? That's you. Because you made agreements with it. You created constitutions missing four out of five of the requirements laid down in the Bible. The document is there. It's a done deal. I'm not picking on the guys who wrote it. They missed something. I'm not picking on Chuck. He missed something. I'm actually taking the time to do this because Chuck figured out some of the things he missed. It took him 30 years, according to him. But I don't know if he's got another 30 years to get the rest of the stuff he's missing. I said I was going to talk tough. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm really a nice guy. (laughs) But uh, the reality is, you got to start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's a form of government that operates by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. That's not a popular message. That is not a popular message because it requires personal sacrifice. You know, in some of the interviews that um, he had, he had interviews with Doc Green, uh, which is mostly, I guess, about the right to bear arms, from what I could tell, although he mentions Romans 13 in there. And there was a reference that uh, Chuck said the Romans hated the Jews. Well, at what time? Because the Romans actually admired the Jews. Uh, The early Romans formed the original republic when they threw out the Tarquinian king. See, they had their Roman revolution, just like we had our American revolution. They threw out the Tarquinian kings because of usurpations. And they formed a government that was very much like the early Israel, because they knew about Israel. When Pompey came, he opened up Judean law books to help Judea. In a system, because he considered them noble people, the Roman centurion was a lot of they liked Jews, and Jews liked the Romans. I can show you in history how they were they mourned the death of Augustus, not so much with Tiberius, but Augustus. Why? Because he was a great granter of free bread, and he not only did he distribute free bread in Jerusalem along with lots of other lucrative contracts for building harbors and roads and everything else, because it was good, Romans were good for business. But he actually made a rule that when they give the free bread away in any place, 
Jews, who if the free bread giveaway fell on a holiday, they could come on the next day and get it. He actually passed a law that said that. Because they were fond of the Jews. They didn't hate the Jews. you got to get out of the B movie. And then, of course, you know, Chuck knows that they deceived him about a lot of things when he was going to school. Well, where do you draw the line at that? And, you know, the, they, people just do not understand what was going on. Romans 13 is talking about the right to choose. That's the power to choose. The original higher right to choose was given to man, not to government. Man chose to give it to government and usually does it by signing agreements, which he was forbidden in the same Ten Commandments, not to do. He's not to sign those agreements. Make covenants with them. Make leagues with them. Give them power to choose for him. That you are not to do that. So let every man man remain subject to the original liberty. The original right to choose. Because the right to choose is given to you by God. All liberty is given by God. And anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. That's not opposing the governments of the world that men create. They are there to punish the wicked. Who are the wicked? The men who look to those governments to rule over their neighbors so that they can have benefits. It's that simple. They're there to punish you. Now you're feeling the scourge of their whip and people go, Ow, that hurt. Ow, that hurt. Oh, they're taking so much. Oh, they're taking so much. And they want to do something about it. And they want to shake their fist at the government that they created? They created out of their own greed? No. Repent. Think a different way. Go a different way. Gather with other people who want to go that other way. Join in this network of people. It's a free assembly. We don't care what denomination. I don't care if you're Baptist, Seventh-day Adventist, or what. Seeking the kingdom is very simple. You gather together with the intent of taking care of one another righteously through charity in a way that strengthens the poor. That you're not going to facilitate lazy people who don't go to work. Everybody got to go to work. Everybody works. No exceptions. (laughs) Now, admittedly, there are some people who can't work as hard as others. I mean, we're not going to expect 90-year-old women to go out there and stomp bricks. But what you can do, you do. And that is seeking the kingdom of God. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't strive, you don't eat. And there's lots of things you can do to come together to be the government of God. That's what Jesus was preaching, the kingdom of God. The right to be ruled by God. The reason that these guys are usurping, or they're not usurping, but you think they're usurping you, and according to the fourth. Uh, amendment where you're not secure in your person, your houses, your papers and effects is because your neighbor's not secure from you. Because you want public school, you want health care, you want all these things. And I'm sure Chuck Baldwin doesn't want all these things. But your constitution is lacking. This is why you're back in the bondage of Egypt. That's, that was part of those things that they 
your your government could do nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt, which is what Herod was doing. Herod was getting people to sign up for his system of social welfare, where your sacrifice, your Corbin, would end up making the word of God to none effect because it would be a forced contribution. Now, how does this deal with abortion and sodomy? Uh, which we're supposed to be preaching against. But I tell you that if you form that society that takes care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, instead of cursing your children with debt, ever-rising debt, which you have no control over, Jesus didn't come to run for political office in Rome. He was the king of Judea, and his kingdom was not a part of the world of Rome. That's what it says. It was on this planet Simply not a part of the constitutional order and system of government of Rome. That's what the word means according to the concordance. And when he said that to Pilate, Pilate understood. Preachers today don't understand. But maybe they don't want to understand. I'm hoping Chuck does want to understand. I'm hoping people that gather and listen to Chuck want to understand. Chuck needs to be preaching the full gospel of the kingdom of God at hand, which is a government that operates without our case, without rulers. It operates by that faith, hope, and charity and perfect law of liberty. That's where we need to be heading. And that's where a preacher needs to know we need to be heading. And if he does that, it will take care of the abortion problem and the sodomy problem. Because you will no longer be perverting the natural use. What what happens, according to Polybius, when you live at the expense of others? You banish liberty. You banish righteousness. We have to turn around from that. We have to go the other way. And so, you know, when I read him talking about anarchists, and, and I admit that the word is changing. Even the word religion has changed. Again, you know, when he talks about these pious anarchists, the word pious, which we find in, in, in the definition of religion 200 years ago, it says the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That was the definition of religion. It was the fulfillment of a duty, a pious fulfillment of a duty. Well, if you go back two, 300 years, the word pious had to do with a patrimonial responsibility and right as the right of the father. You are supposed to be taking care of your father. And in, if all sons were taking care of their father, that was a pious duty. And then that father could help take care of the needy. This is what a congregation, an elder was the eldest of a family. He was the father of a family. That's what an elder was. It was an office of the church. He appointed elders Two offices of the church, but the office was not elder. Elder is an office of the family, the eldest of the family. And the sons tithe to their father, and their father distributes those funds to the minister that he thinks is actually seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Taking it with those funds, he, that minister can now take care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity by serving their society. Because Christ came to serve, and that's what he was teaching his apostles how to do, which they were doing, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. When it came to helping 
Greeks in uh, Jerusalem. It wasn't Greeks in Jerusalem. It was Greeks in Greece, in Corinth, in Galatia. They needed these seven men. Seven men they already had, once had, in the Old Testament. There wasn't any difference between what Moses taught and Jesus taught. There was a great difference between what the Pharisees said Moses taught and Jesus taught. But they didn't really know Moses. The problem today is the modern Christian preacher does not really know Jesus. They're into emotion, into that noise in their head, into making, bringing up emotions and music and all these things so that you think you are saved. It's a strong delusion. They create all kinds of doctrines that allow you to live at the expense of your neighbor through covetous practices. And that's what Peter says. It was through covetous practices you would be made merchandise and you would lose access to your Fourth Amendment rights. I, I mentioned that. There are a lot of other rights you lose access to. But the Fourth Amendment, because I happen to hear Chuck talking about the Fourth Amendment, thinking that somehow or other the government is usurping. No, you usurped your neighbor um, collectively. I don't. I think Chuck is probably a really good guy, not far from the kingdom. But he needs to know more. And I'm not getting into the really hard stuff for him to swallow. I think he could accept a lot of what I'm saying. It's going to sound different. But he had the humility about the Israel thing. I'm hoping he has the humility about the other. And I would love to embrace him and share with him a lot more. But Romans 13 is talking about liberty. The right to choose. And God gave you the right to choose. That's the higher liberty. The higher right to choose. The more excellent right to choose. That's in the hand of the individual. It only gets in the hand of government when people make agreements with government and give it power. Just think about that fact. This is fact. History. Fact. That the Constitution was never put to a popular vote. Because it really had nothing to do with the people. That's what the people, like Madison, said. It was giving power to government and trying to limit that power. Unfortunately, they didn't put in all five of the limitations that the Bible requires. They only put in one. And they disregard that today. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So we started with a quote from uh, Polybius uh, that talks about the, the masses continuing with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of the rule, the arche, of force and violence, the sword. 
and the people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for the livelihood of the on the property of others institute the rule of violence again the sword and now uniting their forces massacre banish and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch you, you you're not going to elect anybody today that is going to turn this country around until you turn around now why am i quoting a greek of uh, historian who worked for the Romans. He was actually brought to Rome uh, to teach uh, two sons of um, of a Roman dignitary. And uh, then he became this historian of historians uh, during the Hellenistic period. Uh, and he's noted for his works uh, on what they call the histories, uh, which covered a period from about 264 to 146 B.C. But John Adams read Polybius. And uh, so did people like uh, Charles de Montesquieu and and a lot of the other founding fathers. They all read Polybius because uh, they they were uh, forming the ideas of this constitutional theory. Unfortunately, they should have read Deuteronomy more, but they did evidently didn't read it enough or didn't understand it well enough. Although I mean, I can read it in the King James, and I think, oh my gosh, they're telling you how to write a constitution, and uh, yet. Only one of the items listed there ended up in the Constitution of the United States. But men like John Adams were also reading Polybius and didn't realize how important it would be to include those other items in the Constitution. Although I believe that many of them, um, uh, certainly uh, Jefferson, actually Thomas Paine, he would agree with most of them. But, you know, when Thomas Paine got older... He kind of wanted to impose, you know, he presented a plan to impose a tax to take care of the elderly. He repented of that, but, and somebody else helped take care of him, because he was never a very good money manager. He's kind of a hothead, but, you know, I quote him. You know, I can deal with these guys on an individual basis. I'm willing to accept their good points and agree with them on their good points. But, that doesn't help them get better. That doesn't strengthen them to only talk about what you agree on. So this is why I'm kind of hard on Chuck. But I think that he can take it. He's a tough guy. He's, he's taken it before. But he's got to take it. If you're seeking the kingdom, you've got to persevere until the end. You've got to overcome all the falseness that people have been giving us and feeding us for years and years and years and years. So, you know, um, like I say, John Adams was, uh, he, he considered uh, Polybius as one of the most important teachers of constitutional theory. And, of course, they understood. See, at that, their time, for a hundred years afterwards, if you had a need, you didn't go to the government. Even Even the little bit that Madison writes about public education... He never envisioned public education as we have it today. Uh, and even in 1910, most kids were educated outside of the public institutions. Yeah, Madison points out that the public institutions of education should only be funding by government expense when there was absolute 
indigency in the people. And of course, today in America, there's absolute indigency because you're all bankrupt and in debt. Your children are born forty to fifty to sixty thousand dollars in debt in every country of the world. Some goes up to two hundred thousand dollars in debt. The child is born, and we'll be expected to work that off because they're born. They're cursed with this debt. And they're cursed with this debt because people keep looking to government to solve their problems, which the early forefathers, founding fathers, said, as long as you look to government to solve your problems, you will always suffer tyranny. Well, now, what problems aren't they looking to? You used to go to church if you lost your job or broke your back or leg or couldn't work or needed help for your family. You don't do that anymore. You go to the government. So guess what? You deserve nothing but dictators and rulers and archaes because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's been that way for the last hundred years. And it's just getting more and more that way. And the preachers are willing to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And like uh, uh, Patrick Henry said, and provide for it. <laughs> Uh, by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, according to Ben like Paul. Well, that's the ones that should be free. That's the ones who God will hear. And that's the ones who God will provide a refuge for in the days to come. And I'm not going to tell you where that refuge is. You have figured out. And you will figure it out if you actually turn around and change your thinking. Start realizing that Jesus Christ preached a government that operated by righteousness. You talk about Rome. The United States is Rome today. It has an imperator. It has a president. Augustus was, he he had three offices. Imperator, which means commander-in-chief. He was in charge of the army and the navy. He wasn't able to make fire come down from heaven in the sight of men because he had no air force. But he had an army and a navy, and he was in charge of that. I'm giving you hints, those of you who are students of the Bible. He was the president of Rome, a municipality. Go read Tupper Sassi's book and find out who Rome is today. Uh, rulers of evil. Arches of evil. Arche. Not anarchists, but arches of evil. Now, you know, I'm not advocating everybody become an anarchist, but according to the original meaning of the word, you should not be trying to rule over one another and exercise authority one over the other. And that's according to Christ. So, in that sense, you should be an anarchist. I admit that Antifa and a lot of other people make anarchists as some sort of bomb-wielding club individual who's going to beat people over the head who say something that hurts their feelings <laughs> well that's not an anarchist that's an idiot <laughs> so because uh, an anarchist is not trying to rule over you he's not trying to regulate your speech he's not trying to get his hand in your pocket uh, through socialism he's not doing that because that's all RK stuff but what the church should be doing is the antithesis of of the Antifas. We should be antithesis Antifas. Anti-anti. I, I think I can, I'm not even going to try to say that again. We should be providing the benefits through faith, hope, and charity. 
And the people who want to sit there and shake their fist at government as some sort of a surfer, while they themselves are a surfer. I have a good friend in Colorado. I'll talk about him. I won't mention his name. But he was helping people keep the roads open that are being closed all over the country by the people like Forest Service and BLM and all this kind of stuff. He was trying to keep them open. And I told him flat out, I says, I'm not going to spin my wheels trying to keep those roads open for people who send their kids to public school on the weekdays and then want to get on their recreational vehicles on the weekends instead of going and visiting their parents in a convalescent home paid for by the government. Those people are not seeking the kingdom of God. If they would repent and take care of their parents and help take care of their neighbor's parents and help take care of their neighbor's children and their children's education by coming together in a system of charity, I would help them keep the roads open. But because they're not doing that, They should have the roads closed until they finally cry out. But everybody's crying out and blaming the government for what it would naturally become because you're feeding at the expense of your neighbor. You're living at the expense of your neighbor. You have to change that thinking and realize that's wrong to live at the expense of your neighbor, to get benefits at the expense of your neighbor, especially when your neighbor has to provide those benefits through force by taking away from others, you know, other neighbors, through men who exercise authority one over the other. It is not to be that way with you. What part of not to be that way with you don't you understand? This is the gospel. The kingdom was appointed to the apostle. What kingdom was that? The kingdom of Israel. The ministers, and this is where we're going to lose a lot of people, especially ministers. The ministers of that kingdom appointed by Jesus Christ to the apostles. He said he was going to take it away. He said he was going to appoint it to his little flock. And then he does. He says, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me. That's it. He said it. If you're going to preach the doctrines of Jesus, you've got to preach what he says. That's the kingdom of Israel he took away. He was the highest son of David. What was David? The king of Israel. Who could fire the money changers? The king, David. Since the days of Samuel and David, the king had the power to fire the money changers, the porters of the temple. He did that. He was hailed as king. He's doing the work of king. He's in the gastaphone, the, the, the royal treasury of the king. And he is the king. But he's not like the kings of the Gentiles who exercise authority. He's teaching the people how to live by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. By gathering together and contributing to one another and taking care of one another so that no one is left behind. Strengthening the poor. This is what the church should be doing. Its job is the kingdom of God. To take care of one another. You do that and you are preaching the loudest sermon you'll ever preach. If you continue to go around thinking that religion is what you think about God. Your faith will stay dead. Because 
Faith without works is dead. What works? The work of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. If you did that, the government would be superfluous. They, God would hear your voice. Everywhere you walked would be the shores of the Red Sea and God would put a pillar of fire between you and the enemy. But if you will not walk in the ways of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ and the early church, how can you tell me that you're seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness? So why are you not gathering together in a network of faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty? What is keeping you from... You got excuses? Oh, I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I got to... No. Gather together. I don't care what denomination people thought they were. Kingdom of God has one denominator, and that is Christ. And Christ said, to, "If you you can't just tell me that you believe. You got to be a doer of the word. It's not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. So that's what you got to do. You got to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is to love one another. And it's not love in one another to send rulers to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor to, to sacrifice for your benefit. That's not Christian. And all these people out there who say they're Christian and say they believe in Jesus and are doing that are under a strong delusion. So we tell people, gather together. And we, you know, yeah, we created a bunch of email groups the Google groups, we call them, and they're based on geographical location. So you can join that group and find a congregation. We didn't have a congregation in South Africa. We got somebody who wants to form a congregation in South Africa. But the people in South Africa are not really getting the message. Well, what we, what do you want us to do? Put ads in the paper? We don't have money for ads in the paper <laughs> in South Africa. All we can, I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. You guys have to do it. But anyway, so he's looking at joining the congregation in Australia. Long ways away. But he will be in the loop with them. And they're starting to work at becoming a more viable congregation. When they get up to 20 people and say, Eight of them are in South Africa, <laughs> and the rest is in Australia. They can go through a process of spiritual mitosis where they become an autonomous assembly, free assembly in South Africa. And they will have ties to Australia. And the same if in Australia, if they have, if they have ten people in Sydney and, uh, uh, Ten people, ten families in Perth, and they will divide off and become, but they will still be connected by the network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, which the church organized itself to be. Because uh, the reason I'm kind of mentioning this, I guess, is because Chuck Baldwin talked about home churches, and of course the early church was home churches, but they are also networked together. From one end of Israel to the other end of the Roman Empire. They had created a system of seven which helped them link, as well as the tens, hundreds, and thousands, that helped link 
the people of Israel with the people of Syria and the people of Syria with the people of Galatia and the people of Galatia with the people of Corinth through this network that Paul was going around and shoring up the network. And, of course, that's why they had the festivals to shore up that network. Because Jesus didn't come and preach the congregation of home churches. He came and preached the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God doesn't have rulers, but it has lots of leaders who do not exercise authority one over the other, but operate according to the perfect law of liberty. To do what? To provide love, charity for one another. To take care of one another so that they do not have to go to the Cain's, Nimrod's, Pharaoh's, and Caesar's of the world. Because if you go to them, you will lose your right to choose. You will become merchandise. And that's where you're at. But you've already gone the wrong way. Now you have to turn around and start going back the other way. I was telling you about Rome and the United States. I have articles up that take you step by step through the history of Rome at that time. Augustus, 10-year term of office, Imperator, Commander-in-Chief. One-year term of office, President of Rome, Principas Civitas, first citizen of Rome. One-year term, he had to be re-elected every year, and Augustus was not re-elected every year. Why? Because he was out of town a lot. And they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have satellites. So he couldn't do that. He couldn't. So they, that was a one year term because he's gone out there fighting battles, being the policeman of the world. Sound familiar? Okay. There you got it. What was the third office? He was the appointer of gods, Apotheos. He was, which gave him the rank of God because he chose to appoint all the judges throughout the empire. That's not the way they did it originally in the Republic. But that, when the Republic became an empire, yeah, that's the way they did it. That is the way you've done it here in the United States for a long time. And that's why the painting in the Capitol Dome is the apotheos, apotheosis of Washington. And according to the U.S. government website, raises Washington to the rank of God. Because he appoints the judges. Judges, ruling judges. Everywhere you see the word Theos, everywhere you see the word Elohim, something I've said, pointed out over and over again, it's defined as ruling judge. That's what the words meant. If you went into a Greek court, you would address the judge Theos. Because he was the ruling judge of that court. That's why Paul says there are gods many. That's why Jesus says, ye also are gods. You're just not the God of me. My God is in heaven. He writes upon my heart and upon my mind. I want your God to be the God in heaven. But when God writes upon your heart and your mind, you get to decide by his leading of his spirit what is good and evil. You don't decide with your intellect, your brain. You decide because you perceive what God is telling you. He's writing upon your heart and your mind through revelation. That's how God is building his church. Through revelation. Chuck had some revelations. Is willing to swim upstream against the common current. And said Israel is not the Israel of prophecy. He's right. It's not. It's just another country. It has good people and bad people in it. 
And there are thousands upon thousands of Jewish rabbis who say, no, they are not representing Judaism. That is not the religious state of Judea or, or Israel. They say it, not me. And they're right. It's not. Now, amongst those, like, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, see, we go full circle. I do a lot of rabbit trailing, but we always come back. Rabbits, what a rabbit does is run out and come back to where he was before. He always runs in a circle. Otherwise, he'd get lost out on the desert. <laughs> so, anyway, the, the, uh, the point is we're back to Ben Shapiro, Orthodox Jew who's telling the message of the gospel, you need social networks that take care of one another through charity. And he's telling libertarians that. And he's trying to tell Republicans that. And why? Because that was the message of Moses. Now, he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, but then he's not being taught what the real Jesus Christ was saying to the people. Those networks have to love one another. And the people in those networks have to love one another. And they have to take care of one another. They can't do it by force like Herod was doing. They have to do it by charity. By love. Same word. And that's what you have to do. So all we do is create the opportunity of creating a network. And other churches like Chuck Baldwin, and I'm sure he's got a big network of people, but they need to start organizing themselves the way they were or, Christians were organizing themselves on Pentecost. Because everybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ at Pentecost could no longer collect a social security check. <laughs> because the Pharisees had already said they had been cast out of their synagogues, which is where they rightly divided the bread from house to house, except for Israel was not, Judea was not rightly dividing it. They were respecters of persons. They had entitlements. You could get funds even if you were breaking the law of God. But Which takes us to what stoning really was and what altars really were. We have an abundance of information if you're willing to look and find the whole truth. Like Patrick Henry said, criticizing the Constitution of the United States. Patrick Henry saying this document was written as if good men would take office. When bad men take office, you know, like the covetous, the the arches of the world, they will steal your rights through ambuscade. Through ambuscade. Fascinating word. You can go look it up. And that's what's happened. Patrick Henry was a prophet. <laughs> He was opposed to the Constitution because of the very thing that has happened. Now, there is a solution, and the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to become like Christ. We have to gather together in His name to take care of one another in faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. My grandkids were out stacking wood for a widow the other day. My wife took another widow to, uh, I think it was a doctor for her heart or something. Um, and, uh, and she had me going out to the church storage deal to get other things for another widow who just had surgery. <laughs> 
And uh, let me think, none of these go to our church. (laughs) But that's our outrage. That's what we do. What are you doing to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you repenting? Are you thinking that different way? Well, let's hope so. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.